Let's declare the word of understanding as we begin to study. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I've been filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects, I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. It is making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. Amen. Please turn to somebody on your left and your right and bless the person. Say the Lord, the word is making you more and more like the Lord Jesus. The word is transforming your life. Yes, rearranging you. Declare concerning your own life to say the word is transforming me. Yes, giving me direction. It's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. I'm more patient than I ever was. Say, patience is my portion. It's manifesting by the entrance of the word. In the name of Jesus Christ. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. As you are sitting and greet someone, so you are very wise. I like that. Yes, yeah. All right, the Lord is good. Now let's open our Bibles today. I want to, I want to continue in line, or something in line with what we've been talking about, but we'll probably shift slightly in the main topic. I believe the Holy Spirit is guiding us into what we are supposed to know in this time and in this season. Uh, so I don't miss this. Let me just start. First um, Corinthians chapter eleven. Let me start with that. Now here Paul was speaking about the issue of the communion table. But I want to bring out a principle from there before I go into the main thing we want to talk about. Now he was talking about the fact that what he received from the Lord, that's what he's delivering to the people. That's in verse 23. I'm going further down. Just want to back up slightly. Get a good context. He said that I received that that the Lord, the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body and all of that." Now, verse twenty-seven. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, verse twenty-eight. But the man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread. And drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgments to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are sick, are weak and sick, and in number sleep. I was referring to dying there. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, now notice that. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now, so you see three levels of judgment here. First, you see a man judging himself. That is there. You can judge yourself. And then the next level of judgment is that the Lord now disciplines you as a believer. If you don't take time out to judge yourself, that's what happens. And then, why is the Lord doing it? It is not because he wants to punish you. He said it is so that you will not be condemned along with the world. That is, if a believer is not judged appropriately, he will get to a point, 
in which he will be condemned along with the world. There are so many scriptures that show it cannot be true. When people tell you that once saved, always saved, that it's not possible for you to ever, you know, let me put it like this, be condemned with the world. Think about it. If it was so, why would the Lord be taking all these precautions? He said, I have to judge you so that you don't, so that you don't be condemned with the world. He said, if you, he said um, that uh, if you do these things, I will not erase your name. I mean, what does that tell you? That if you don't do that, if you, if you refuse to do what he's saying, then the name can be erased. Those are the things we should bear in mind. So when God is taking some precautionary measures on our behalf, it is because the opposite is possible. It is because what he's trying to prevent us from getting into is possible. So let's bear that in mind. But like I always say, the arguments that Christians should not even get involved in, once saved, always saved, how does it concern you? Do you want to backslide? I don't know whether you're getting my point here. And as I say, look, even if I say that you won't go to it, why? So, do you know the truth? If I start walking the gut every time I'm going around, my wife won't divorce me. Do you know that? Have you noticed it? Yeah. If I decide every time I'm showing up, my color must riot. I wear a pink shirt and purple trouser and green blazer and look like a decrease. Are you getting my point? It's for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in death, do us part. That is the vow I took. You know, she's not happy she's like me saying it like this. Why do you want to go crazy like this? Because you know I won't go anywhere. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> Now, do I not take that liberty? I say, hey, my wife is not going to divorce me. Don't worry. I show up for Bible study. I'm looking like a fella. You know what a fella used to look like? <laughs> you know what a fella used to look like? Yes. Uh, let me not say more than that. <laughs> Those who don't have the revelation of a fella, leave it like that. <laughs> I won't do that. What I'm going to say is that, so even if they've proven to you that once you are saved, you're always saved, so? Does it mean you will not continually improve? Peter said, if these qualities are yours and are what? increasing. That's the issue. We have to continually what? Increase. The arguments Christians get into. I wonder, I, I don't get into those arguments. As okay, So we have come to an agreement that we should continually increase in our level of holiness and righteousness. The answer is yes. Leave it there. And it's why we are always doing that. We have, the risk is not there anymore. He said if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will right, render you neither useless or unfruitful. You, are you getting my point? So at least we know that we are safe. Not as if I now spend my time arguing that even if I marry six wives now, divorce my wife and marry six wives and then start stealing money and then you understand, and join advance in making free money, I still won't go to hell. Why should I get into that argument? And like I always tell people, if you argue like that, let me tell you something, you are going to hell. Do you know why? You will. You will be condemned. I will tell you why. The reason is that your love is not for righteousness. Yeah. You are not born again. That's my, that's my reason. Not for any other thing. It's just that you don't love righteousness. You don't love righteousness. So forget it. You're not a believer. You're deceiving us. Churches are full, we know. Doesn't mean everybody is a Christian that goes there. Many people were born into the church and they've been there and they will fight for that church. They will draw a dagger for that church. My landlord told me something once. When I, when I first met him many years ago, I started staying in his house. His father was a bishop. He's an old man now. He's about 85. He's an old man. His father was a bishop. He was born into a Christian family. They were speaking. He said his daughter was in university when he realized he was not born again. 
So it's because the daughter came home one day with her friend. And they said, let us preach the gospel to our father. Are you getting my point? And the man, by the time your daughter is in university, you're not a small boy anymore. Born into a Christian home. So it was when this girl finished speaking with him, he realized he didn't know Jesus. Yet his father was a bishop. His father was a bishop. He grew up in a Christian home. He grew up in, what do you call where clergymen stay in those churches? The personage. He was living in the bishop's court. Yet he wasn't born again. So some of these arguments we have, the arguments getting of people who are not born again but who go to church. So that's why I say what I say. All right? That if you sit down some arguments and they're important to you, I doubt your salvation. I doubt it. There's a man in Lagos who we wrote a book. Well, first time I saw the book, I looked at this, this man, are you sure? But now I'm beginning to suspect that the man is right. He said, he had the revelation. That is it 90 or 99% of pastors are going to hell? And when he said in my mind, like, what do you mean? I said, well, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Many people are just in ministry. They are not heading. They don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And the dangerous part is that many of them, once in a while, they see miracles. I don't know whether it was Andrew Womack or Derek Prince, one of these ministers I've listened to, that told, that told the story of how a man prayed for him and he got healed and the man wasn't born again. Why? Because the man, I think was, he went to church, he heard their preacher say something. So he came and met his friend that was sick. He said, listen, listen to what our preacher said. He opened the Bible and read it for the man and they prayed and he got healed. Why? It was the word that was working. That's why some people will come to him on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We, we cast out demons in your name. We did all kinds of things in your name. And he will say, you didn't backslide. I never knew you. That it's possible for somebody to exist thinking he's a Christian. And he, the Lord said, I don't know you. And that's why you don't judge yourself by the works that you find passing through your, I mean, coming through your hands. You talk powerfully. The people move. You judge yourself by the fruit of the Spirit coming out of your life. Not by the manifestation of the Spirit, you know? Tongues and interpretation of tongues and healings and miracles. No. But by the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you judge yourself. Now, why am I going to that? I'm just, you know, we began that looking at the matter of judgment. As a matter of fact, we said there are three levels of judgment. One for Christians. One, there is judgment of yourself. He says we should judge ourselves. And why are we doing that? Because we don't want God to judge us. We don't want that. We don't want the Lord to be the one to do the judging. Because it's actually painful when he does it. It's painful. You know, when you judge yourself, you pray, you think. You hear a comment. Somebody tells you something that, look, that's a problem. You are not reliable. Ah, and then initially you want, your flesh wants to react. That what do you mean I'm not reliable? Go home and go and pray. Don't, you know, go and pray. Say, Lord, I joke, I said I'm not reliable. I don't believe him, but just in case, what do you think? Because I've seen, listen, listen, I have seen people corrected. And, you know, there are people that you don't correct them. And there's another thing, once your friends know that you must never be corrected, you're in trouble. Yeah. They will all leave you alone. When they see you over speeding and driving into River Niger, 
They say, oh, your car is very fine. They won't say more than that. They know in five minutes you'll be dead meat. So when you finally plunge into the river and you die, and they bring out your corpse, they will tell your mother, he didn't used to listen. That's, we saw that he was going to enter the river. But the last time we told him he was going to enter something else, he told it to quarrel. He didn't talk to me for one week. There are different ways that by which God suggests, pray about everything, no matter how silly it is. I told a story which <laughs> a man told. I, forgot, you know, you, I read many books, so sometimes I don't know where I read something. This man said a man stood in front of their church one in the United States, a, a pastor, and he was denouncing the church and said he was a prophet, that God is going to judge them. So his staff came in and called, and called him and said, sir, we have a problem. There's one man in front. What do we do with him? Of course, what, this is America. How do you solve such problems? Just call the police. It's very, very simple. Five minutes later, maximum, police will show up. They will handcuff the man for disturbing the peace for trespassing, for harassing you. There are so many, and you ask you, do you want to press charges? American police, they will ask your opinion. Do you want to, and if you say yes, they will charge the man to court, and he may get six months imprisonment for that, or a fine. So he came out, and he saw the man, saw one man, you know, that looked unkempt. So suddenly he realized that many times that prophets have come to correct people, this is how they reacted. When the prophet came to collect, correct Asa, Asa had him thrown in jail. Yeah. Jeroboam, the prophet came, he stretched out his hand until the hand withered. <laughs> he said, suddenly he realized that this is how prophets come to correct people. And you are so personally offended. You don't listen. So he said, just in case. He called the man and said, he said when he did that, his staff sees shock on their faces. They almost collapsed. He said, what is pastor doing? He called the man, come into my office. Come and give me the Lord's message. She be I'm the pastor. In the office. So the man came in and sat down. So he talked with the man. And at the end of the day, he said that this man, God didn't send you anyway. <laughs> but the point is that he listened to the man. He wrote in the book that he said, Look, let me not go and miss the correction of the Lord because my flesh is offended. Correction can come from places that, look, <laughs> if when God wants to do you in it, he'll make sure that it has to offend you. It has to offend you. You have to really work hard to make sure that any word of correction that comes, because that's one way it comes. Your friends talk to you. Somebody just tells you something. Don't take everybody's word. Take all of them to prayer. Don't say, this man said it must be like that. Take it away to prayer. Go and pray with it. Go and pray with it. If you bother to pray with something like that, you open your heart for the Holy Spirit to personally you know, correct you, you know, himself. In that particular situation, he found out that that man had his own problems. The man was hungry and he was angry that the church nearby is not taking care of him. So he said, well, if that's the problem, no, no trouble. We will say to you, share the Holy Spirit and you, they are happy now. You are happy now. You're not. But what I learned from that is I said he first took the man in and listened. I have no, you know, let me tell you something here. <laughs> if I used to think people are small boys, now I'm looking and I realize that Kenny Higgins at the age of 16, he learned faith. By the time he was 17, he got up by faith from a deathbed on his own faith alone. God starts dealing with people very early in life. Let's bear that in mind. I have noticed that if God has been dealing with somebody for some time, how do I say this? I'm talking from observation. If anybody's being corrected, especially by good, that is well meaning friends, Christians, 
and the person does not listen, they are always destroyed eventually. They won't make progress. You know what happens? God stands against them. And that's what he does. Because I was saying to you earlier, the first, self, the first correction is self-correction. You sit down, somebody says something to you. You go and pray. Sometimes nobody says anything to you. The Holy Spirit just nudges you. Why do you talk like that? That kind of talk you're talking is not good. That kind of behavior is not good. Why is it that when you are owing people money, your story does not come to an end? Why is that when you tell somebody, I will see you tomorrow, they won't see you for one year? Why is it like that? Why is that when somebody offends you, you don't ever forgive? Six months later, you are still telling the story to everybody that will bother to listen. Why? You know what the flesh does? Starts making excuses. It's the way he said it. I don't like the way that man talks to me. What is the issue with what he said, how he said it? Listen, if you are very hungry, if they serve your food very roughly, you will still eat too. You will be angry with the service, but you will still eat the food. So the flesh starts making excuses. It's the way he said it. Is it, no, listen, forget how the person said it. If it's true, it is true. And one of my friends talked about one of our friends those days. And our two brothers are my friend, all right? One of them said about the other one. He said, look, that guy is very annoying the way he talks. But he speaks a lot of wisdom. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, the way he says it is very annoying. He said, the only thing is that it's wisdom. <laughs> that you'll be telling him something you want to do. He'll just answer you. And you are age mates. You understand? You are mates in every ramification. You say, how can you be that stupid? <laughs> and you're like, what? Me? Stupid? How can you think of doing that kind of thing? Does your head not tell you that if you do like this, like this? Then when he's telling you what he's saying, instantly you realize he's right. But you are angry that he won. He called you stupid. <laughs> and he's asking you whether your head does not talk to you. Well, if you want to talk like that, try and see me small. Not when we are made, just drop it. Boom. What I refer to that? That brother said, the only annoying part is that he speaks wisdom. He recognizes that it's wisdom. So he takes hold of the wisdom and you, you, you will quarrel later. But let me just, let me use the wisdom first. Then I will come and talk to you after not to talk to me like that next time. We can fight over it, but that wisdom, I won't let it go. That's the correct Christian attitude. When we don't do that, of course, when you get that kind of thing, what do you go? You go into prayer because you can never change yourself by yourself. Let's get that clear. You can't. You can't. The only way you can be changed, and that's one thing we have as believers, that thing, that is, that power, when we draw near to the throne of grace, you know, we've talked about it, that we draw near in the time of need to obtain mercy and find grace to help. That time of need, we said, it's not the time I need money. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the time of temptation. That's what it is. It's a time of temptation. It's a time in which I need to obey God, but I don't have the power in myself. It's a time in which I'm supposed to enter the promised land as the word of the Lord has instructed and commanded, yet the giants are standing in front of me. And if I turn my back to the giants, I'll be turning my face to God in protest, in challenge against God. So what do I do? I pray. It is a time in which my name is Jesus. I look at the cross in front of me. It is hard. I run to where? The garden to go and pray. That is a time of need the Bible talks about there. Let's get that clear. When it comes to correcting ourselves, we take everything to prayer. 
And the Bible says, only acknowledge. That's what the Lord said. Only acknowledge your iniquity. What does that mean? I get on my knees. I tell the Lord, this is what I have observed that I do. And I know it is wrong. I have come to you today to say this is wrong. And I should not be doing it. Now I want to say something that's funny. I've not even said, Lord, I won't do it again. Have you noticed that? Because when you are making such things, be careful. Sometimes you are saying such things because you think you have the strength. You actually don't have it. So first you have acknowledged your iniquity. Then I say, Lord, pour your grace into me to enable me not to sin anymore. That's how to pray. That's what happened to that woman. Jesus looked at her. And please, let me just go over the story again for those who don't know the teaching we have given on it before. They brought a woman to Jesus caught in the act of adultery. And they told Jesus, Moses commanded us to stone her. What do you say? We know what they were trying to do. They wanted to trap Jesus. Either you run foul of the laws of Moses or you run foul of the law of Rome. All right? They are oppressors at that time. They are lords. The Romans did not allow anybody to condemn anybody. In Israel, the power to condemn anybody belongs to them. Moses said, stone her. So they put Jesus in a tight position. And please stop trying to trap people who know more than you. They tried to trap Jesus. Now, let me not say too much on it. And he answered them simply. Those of you, now please, a matter of fact, any one of you right here that is sure he has never committed adultery, throw the first stone. That was what he said. Please trust me. I don't have time to explain now. He didn't say those of you have not lied or cheated. He said, we are talking adultery here. Those of you have not done it, throw the first stone. The ones that were aggressive in the stoning were all adulterers. All of them. So they ran. Now, why am I talking about it, you see? So, in that situation, Jesus, we, it appeared as if he was saying, don't obey the laws of Moses. But he wasn't saying that. Actually, what he said is this. Moses, the law of Moses concerning stoning the adulterous person cannot be applied at this point simply because you are all adulterers. That when Moses gave that law, he expected everybody to be clean and innocent so that the adulterous person would have been a serious cancer in your midst that you need to remove. But right now, all of you are sick. And how did he prove it? He said, throw the first stone if you show you are innocent. Amen. Nine. <laughs> There's one guy there. His name was Jerubal. Looked at his neighbor. <laughs> he knew where, where they went together last time. <laughs> and I said, Oh boy, <laughs> Dan, let us go. Let's leave him. Dan and Jerubal sneaked away. <laughs> and some people looked and said, If Dan and Jerubal are not innocent, how can I be innocent? <laughs> Everybody ran away. Why did Jesus say that? He was trying to explain to them. That this girl was a young woman. This woman is a product of the society. This product, this woman is a product of what the men are. And the Lord has said it before. He said, I will not rebuke your daughters and your wives when they commit adultery. He said, because the men themselves, they go after harlots. That was the word Jesus was acting upon. He said, right now, with these men who are all going after harlots, who are adulterers, they can't condemn anybody. And the law of God was that with the men are like that, the woman is not supposed to be condemned. That's what the law said to them earlier. But that's not my story. My story is that Jesus looked at that, that girl. He was saying, in effect, to that woman, listen, you are, you are an adulteress because of the society. 
you did not have the power to resist it. That's where I'm going. You didn't have the power. This man had filled the air with iniquity. Essentially, he was telling her, listen, you couldn't have done better. You had never met me. Where will you get the power from? You were raised in the house of these men, uh, these houses of these men. Where will you get the power from? To you, this is normal. The atmosphere was charged with the spirit of adultery. So he said to her, don't worry about it. He said, now, this is the issue. Now you have met me. Now the excuses are gone. Now the influence of those men have just driven them away. You don't have it anymore. Neither do I condemn you. This is the new word. Go and sin no more. That was not a word of counsel. It was a word of power. The spirit entered into her and set her on her feet after that day. After that day, if she committed adultery, she wanted to. Before that day, it was the men's fault. It was their fault. I've seen men before who expected their daughters to bring money home. And the girl doesn't have a degree. She hasn't gone to school. She doesn't have a skill. Where is she supposed to get the money from? The father has poured into her the spirit of her lottery. Seen them like that. That young woman doesn't have the power. So in this particular situation, Jesus now said to her, neither do I condemn you. It wasn't a word of advice. It was what? A word of power. Go now, from today. Don't sin anymore. I hereby empower you to walk straight. I hereby empower you to obey the righteousness of God. From today, go and sin no more. That's why I told the whole story. That particular point. It is a power to obey we are talking about. That's why I said the law came by Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus. That grace is what I'm talking about. Jesus was able to say that um, that woman will be able to walk after that, right justly after that day, because Jesus has spoken to her the grace to obey. It comes by the entrance of the word. So if we go to prayer, it's not, Lord, I will never do this again. No, it is, Lord, I have come to receive what? Grace. Power. The ability. But one thing God says all the time is this. Maintain, now listen to this. Because that's where we often miss it. You know, yesterday, Germany finally legalized homosexual marriages. Which to me was surprising because I thought they had done it since. I didn't know. I said, wow, they didn't have that. I, I mean, I was surprised, you know. It's a normal thing in Europe now, you know. Of course, America did it sometime under Obama's tenure, Barack Obama. There's one woman, let me not mention her name. I don't like to spread too much bad news. Actually, what happened is that, now listen to this one. This woman is a Christian musician, you know. Uh, let me, just name one for me. Just one international one, just name any. Okay, it's not CC one, but just to let that caliber of person. Okay. Actually, what happened was I sat one day in the room. I just remembered one of her songs that we used to jam those days when I was um, in university. When I found, I found it was released in 87. So I was looking for it. I looked everywhere for it. One place you can easily find old music like that is YouTube. Somebody will have just put a picture on it and put it on the, on the, on the, on the channels. So I, what I, was, I was just looking for it everywhere. I, I, I went to Amazon. I wanted to buy it, but I spelled the name wrongly. So Amazon didn't have it. One of our brothers who 
I know, he, I know he uses iPhone, so I, I sent the mail to him, please. Let me check this on iTunes Store, whether Apple Store has it. He said nothing came up. That am I sure I got the spelling right? Let's make a long story short. It was that, in that place I finally got the music anyway. But while I was looking for it, I stumbled on a video of her. You know, at a, they, they call this, this thing GLAD, you know. Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Discrimination. GLAD. It's an American... It's a media, the people in the media started it, all right? So they showed her, they now said, this woman, I, I, I don't want to I don't mention her name. The, the, the video was cla- uh, captioned, this woman at GLAD. So I clicked on the video to see what she, so of course, now nah, this is what I'm going to. Oh, you came for the GLAD? I said, yes, you see, I said, transformation, I, I had to accept the future. This is the reality of the future. People have to just know and come on board. So it's been a difficult transformation for me, but I knew I had to do it. I was looking at this idiot like this. <laughs> of course, the reporter said, what changed your mind? He said, it was because um, I just realized that I had a lot of good people around me who are, you know, gay, gay they're lesbians, and they're good people, and all of that. So that, that experience, relating with them, and I'm hoping that my other friends will come on board. You know, it almost poisoned my, my mind concerning her music. This is a music that hit the top of the charts when it was released in 87. A music in which she did not mince words about who she was singing about. The name of Jesus was all over the place. Her lyrics are so powerful. Very powerful. This glad experience was maybe like in the last three, four years. About 20-something years later, she's singing another music. Now, I will tell you about, um, you see where I'm going in a moment. I was telling you about this woman. What's her name? Angela Merkel. Angela Merkel. She said, what changed her mind? The same thing this my musician, Christian musician woman said. What changed your mind? Now, in the vote, she voted against. For a long time, Germany could not bring that into vote because she refused. She's the prime minister. And she said, no. If you vote, I will refuse to sign it to law. So they knew. Now, why did she do it this time around? Well, political analysts say that it's because another election is coming up soon. So she wanted to remove a major um, campaign point for the other party. So the other people are going to, you know, they'll come and promise it. They, they, you know the thing, they, uh, one thing about Satan? He looks for good words to describe it. He doesn't call it legalizing homosexual marriages. He call it marriage equality. Equality sounds good to the ears. That's what they call it, marriage equality. Now, get, get what I'm trying to say. So, Angela Merkel, the one they asked her, of course, she not allowed this to go to, to vote, but then, now, this is what the political, political analyst said, though, I don't know whether it's true, that she voted against so that her conservative cons- constituency will still know she's on their side, but she knew the thing would win. So, her government brought homosexual marriages, but Angela Merkel voted against. So, whichever way she wins, can you see? Now, but this is what I'm talking about. So they interviewed her and said, what changed your mind? Why do you allow it? Now, look at this. Why do you allow it to come to, for, for voting? She said, now these were her words, that once she visited a town and she was hosted or she met a lesbian couple who were raising eight children, adoptive children, or they were taking a foster home or something like that. And they were so nice. They were so, you know, everything was good about them. Now, Every time I hear Christians go the other way, 
I notice something they conspicuously and deliberately avoid God's opinion. They always do that. That's why I'm, that's why I'm talking about it. They never tell you. I discovered that Paul had said. I discovered that Jesus said. I found that when Moses was speaking, they never say that. They always tell you, we, meet, we met nice people. Barack Obama, the day I watched him come out openly to support homosexual marriages in the United States, that was the same thing he said. I noticed that people, people wanted it. I have good staff who are with me who cannot make commitments because the law don't allow it. And I realized we are generating suffering for people, 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 the peaceful, the person, these people. Nobody ever tells you what they think the law says. And it doesn't worry me anymore because they denied him long ago anyway. Now, why am I talking about this? That's how Satan wins. What does God say? Only acknowledge. God says, no matter how you feel, even if you are attracted to another man and you want to marry him, and you're a believer, remember what we said before, you don't have your own opinion. What is, when they ask you, what do you think of homosexual marriages? You say, the Lord said it's an abomination. And he said, now it's not what you feel, your own feeling, going by it, you're on Barack Obama's side, what we just, we just keep on quoting what he said. I'm talking about confession and how we get power to resist sin. What we just keep on saying that, Lord, it is wrong. Don't make excuses. Like husband and wife. I found this one out some years ago, and it works for me all the time. You can sit down and decide to analyze everything your husband did wrong. You can do that. Or you can sit down and analyze everything your wife did wrong. And to justify how you are reacting. But if you have to open your mouth in prayer to talk. Now let me say something. Try your best not to be an accuser of anybody. What do I mean? Don't kneel down and say, Lord, the way my wife is doing, she talks roughly. She's very stupid when she wakes up in the morning. At night, she's crazier. She talks to me rudely. When you analyze all of those things, you know what you are doing? You are accusing. You don't realize it. You are accusing. As a number of years ago, something happened to me, all right? Kingdom World here. On a Saturday, my wife did something. I can't remember what. I have no idea now. But all I know that I was thoroughly upset. You know what? When you're a man of God, I was okay with it. You need a calm spirit to deliver the counsel of God. And listen, listen. You have to fight for that calm spirit. If people are upsetting you, you have to come sit down, pray for a few minutes to settle your brain. Otherwise, you mount the pulpit, you start preaching nonsense. Today, I have come to talk on submission. <laughs> Some women in this house, they are not submissive. Submission is a good message, but the spirit is wrong. <laughs> uh-huh. So one of the, so that particular day, I don't know what happened, Karen. What I know is I was so thoroughly upset. I decided that I was not coming to preach that day. I was, I was about to make an arrangement for somebody else to preach in my stead while I stayed at home. Until something occurred to me. That the Lord would come. And that's what he did. He came to the cool of, in the cool of the evening to the garden and asked, Adam, where are you? I realized he was going to come and he would say, Banky, where are you? And I'll say, I'm at home. He would now say, what, you, what are you doing at home? Then my answer scared me. I realized I was going to say, the woman you gave me upset me, I can't preach. I packed and ran to Bible study. <laughs> hey, I dressed up. I, I said, whatever I need to do, I must do. But I'm coming here to preach because I don't want anybody to come and meet me in the evening and say, well, where are you? I said, I'm at home. Why are you at home? 
the woman you give me so upset me. You don't realize you are judging her. You are creating problems for her. You are opening doors into her life for demonic spirits to come and oppress. So I shut my mouth, packed my things. Whatever it would take, I showed up and I preached. It's not safe for you, for your spouse, for you to be an accuser. So what do you do? It's simple. You take the word. I'm talking about this confession thing now. You take the word and just leave that one up. My wife upset me, but what did the Lord say? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. So Lord, I want to pray. See, there's a word right here, which is a bit difficult for me to obey right now. Um, you know the reason, but it won't come from my mouth, okay? <laughs> what, I, what will just come from my mouth is that you said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's it. And the reverse, the reverse is also the case. If it's a woman praying, what you lift up is what? You know, you, rest, you know, be submissive to your husbands, you know, as unto the Lord. Just that's how we pray. I'm talking about confession. Whatever we do, we make sure we are always what in agreement with Him, not with public opinion. No, we're not in agreement with public opinion. We're always in agreement with Him. We're not in agreement with how we feel. So even if the unclean spirit has possessed you, do because it's an unclean spirit. Okay, you now be having attraction for for somebody of the same sex. Don't ever open your mouth and say, "Look, after all, that is how I feel." How you feel is inferior to what the Lord said. Do you get my point? Listen, let me just sit on that a, a, a bit. Even humanly speaking, we know we don't do what we feel like doing. All those people you see jogging around the parasquare, you think they like running? They don't like running now. How they feel is to stay at home. How they feel is to sleep. How, to, how they feel is to eat some more. How they feel, oh boy, good ice cream is good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but do people always do that? No. No. When you feel that something is good, you will decide that, no, let me do that which is good. So when we say all this, how, all this how I feel thing, it's actually we are, dis- we, we are disregarding the opinion of the Lord. Because God knows there are many other things that we feel. We don't do what we feel. We do what is right. Nobody feels like starting a tablet every day. But do you know how many people are starting it every day? Because doctors said so. They do it every day. So God says, this is how I change people. Don't open your mouth and tell me how you feel. Open your mouth and agree with what I said. That's what confession is. Back to where we began from. So when I have issues in my life, I do what? I acknowledge my iniquity. It's not as if I make up my mind that I have strength, I'm not going to do this again, no. I just continually acknowledge that this is wrong. When I go to prayer, having acknowledged that it is wrong, I ask the Lord for strength to obey him. I continually draw near. I have come to the conclusion this is God is always faithful, even though we knew it was written before, but now I have that experience. That is always faithful. The problem is that we are faithless. We are not consistent in holding on to him. If we just consistently, consistently agree with his opinion and always drew near to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, eventually there's nothing we will overcome in this life. There's nothing. I hope I get my point here. So we began from that stage one. We said judgment, three levels. First one, you judge yourself. That's what Paul was saying. We should judge ourselves. And I'm talking about how we judge ourselves. 
Let's make it a habit regularly. Always pray about God. Search me. It's important. Because if you don't, you have to go to level two. Which is what? God now judges you. That one is not nice. That one is painful. That one hurts the flesh. That one hurts the flesh. It does. Before I go into it, let me just say something again. There are many ways by which God, at least uh, uh, some of what I want to say is from personal experience, okay? Somebody like me, it's happened many times that I'll just have a dream. And as soon as I have that dream, I know. I, I, I told the story in my book, in the book uh, Guided by the Spirit. And I'm corrected about some things. Alright, so I mentioned somebody telling you, it's the Holy Spirit nudging you. There are times, you, at least that has happened to many times, through a dream, God corrects you. Sometimes a prophet comes to you and speaks with you. And then let me just say something briefly. I think if you notice something that your friend is doing that's not good, pray seriously about it. Call on that friend who's a spiritual person also. Talk about it, and one or two of you go and correct your neighbor. Let me just warn you ahead of time. I have seen people that friends did that for. They rejected the correction. You know, the Lord... I hope in the last few weeks and over the next few weeks, I'll make you afraid of offending him. For this guy we are dealing with, he's not a joker. I have seen him obstruct people before. He will obstruct you. Oh, God. He will obstruct you. When God wants to obstruct people, he will obstruct until you are frustrated. I have seen him kill people because they were going to deliver people from his obstruction. When God wants to stand in your way, let me tell you something. One man that understood it in the Bible well, all right, was David. That's why once you come and tell him, the Lord said, David, you know what he said? Where can I hide from your presence? God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'm going to Tashish. I said, well, if that's the way you want it. All this devil does, you know, the God just leaves you for the devil. Now, I don't understand all of that, but I know when God wants to swallow you, in case you don't know, let me just explain something to you. The Lord was not trying to prepare a fish. The fish was not in the agenda. Let me just explain it to you. The fish was not in God's agenda. What was in God's agenda is that Jonah, you will drown. Please, I don't have time. Go and take your Bible and read it. Jonah went, bought a ticket, found a boat, going to Tarshish, entered the boat, Storm began. The people realized that this is not an ordinary storm. Why would they be asking people to pray? They were fishermen. They were you no know, uh, seafarers. They were used to storms. But they said, this one, he's not normal. That was when God just put a finger and was turning the boat like this. Put a finger around the boat. Angels were using them to, you know, angels just splash around. Say, yeah, yeah, Michael blow. <laughs> Michael will blow. Finally, they decided that something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. They decided to, that's what they said. This is on account of somebody. They cast lots, remember? It fell on Jonah. Tell us, who are you? Where are you from? Where is your God? Where are you heading for? The guy said, let me tell you the truth. I'm a prophet. See all this wahala? It's my fault. They didn't want the man to die. The man said, forget. This God... He has come to stand against me. You guys will perish with me, except you let me go. They tossed the man into the water. Listen to this. This is where I was going. 
he was going to drown. God was not doing what they call demo. No, they call demo. Which is what? Scare him a bit. Just scare him small. No. It was the decree had gone out. Drown him. Read your Bible. It was as he was drowning. In fact, a man like Paulson believes he died. I just don't share that opinion. As he was going down, he began to pray. He began to repent. He began to beg for mercy. That was when the Lord now quickly ordered the fish arranged. They just went into the lab, created one big fish, tossed the guy inside there, swam that way. And the fish swam to the bottom of the ocean. Where Read your Bible, I don't have time now. Where Jonah already had laid down. He was at the bottom. He had, it was, we call it a near drowning experience. That's what I think. But some men think he, had, he was gone. But whether he had died or he was close to death, one thing was sure, he had prayed. In the few minutes it took him to struggle for life before he finally gave up and began to sink to the bottom. All he was doing was repenting. All he was doing was begging God for mercy. When, when he got to the bottom of the ocean where he laid, that was where the fish came, met him, and swallowed him. He revived. God kept a pocket of air inside of the fish. And that was what kept Jonah alive. How do I know of these things you will say? It's because while he was in the belly of the fish, all right, what happened was that he now began to recount what happened. He said, I thought I had died. Then I asked for mercy. He now, he now said what happened. In the belly of the fish, all he was doing was giving thanks. Go and read it. All he was doing was giving thanks. He said, I thought, I said. The, everything was past tense. So that fish was an arrangement when a man that was about to die repented. That's why I said to Christians, don't let God block your way. When he blocks you, you, know, you will have an uncle. He will be a governor. If you harass him enough, he's about to bring you out of where God kept you. God will remove him from office. You won't know why. Listen, the God I'm trying to explain to us, this is our Lord Jesus. Let's get it clear. I've been saying to you, he's not a joker. That's what I'm talking about. He's not a joker. He's not a joker. You bought a flight you're not supposed to be on. You will spoil the engine. They can't take off. <laughs> and one of the things you must learn in life is how to know when God is blocking you. Oh, one, that's one of the things you have to learn in life. One way is that you have prayed all the prayers you know. You have confessed all the confessions you know. And there's no way out apart from breaking a rule. You get what I'm saying there? Once there's no way out apart from breaking a rule, just know God is the one blocking you. When God wants to deliver you, and he's not the one blocking you, don't break his laws. You don't break the codes you, you knew before that time. Once it's, let's break the rule that will get you out, just know God is the one blocking you. He blocks people, though. He blocks people. That was why Paul said, let's judge ourselves so we will not be judged. There are situations I've observed in life, and I don't say, God. You know, one of the things I fear the most in life, now I'm saying it publicly, is I hate being trapped. I hate this feeling of I'm trapped. I don't know whether you get my point. Personally, it scares me. Sometimes, you know, when people are making you know, choices, you know, country is rough, you know, let's... I can go abroad if God says so, but I, he has to wake me up and tap. I, that is, listen to me, I'm not kidding about this. I'd rather die in poverty than you put me in prosperity in which I feel, feel trapped. It scares me. Ah, David described God walling him on, in, on every side. Hey, that thing there, it scares me. Sometimes people just get up and say, ah, hey, you know, my wife was telling me so, yesterday about one man, he said, ah, he said he's going up. I say, hey, 
Abroad is good. I'm not saying it's bad. But bros, if God traps you there, you know the guy who shot people, killed somebody or two and injured many people? It's a Nigerian doctor in New York. Yes. 